What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast, featuring your sports talk and long-suffering fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. I'm going to be joined in just a minute by the host of the Sports in the Waiting Room podcast, Christopher Russo, not the Mad Dog, good friend of mine from my uh, intern days over at SNY. We're going to be talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs. We are coming to you in the middle of the first round. Rangers in action. They're down 2-1 to the Penguins as they get ready for game four tonight. You can check out our conversation in just a bit. Also stay tuned to the end of the podcast for this week's two-minute drill. I'm going to give you my thoughts on the full season of Winning Time on HBO, the show covering the Showtime Lakers. The finale just dropped last night. Watched it. Recorded some thoughts on it late. That's going to come to you at the end of the podcast. Before we get into our opening tip today, I just want to let you know, if you like what you hear on the Just Have a Suffering podcast, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play. All the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on your favorite podcast platform. You can find episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and star rating as well. It helps make the podcast even better going forward. Let us know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. We can gear things more to what you're interested in. Just let us know in the feedback. So check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of my conversation with Christopher is going to be up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. And without any further ado, let's get into our opening tip here. We're going to talk about the New York baseball teams, and they're off to a phenomenal start. That's coming up right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Opening tip time here, and I got to say, we're just over a month into the baseball season. I believe, actually, literally, we just passed a month after this weekend's action. And right now, baseball belongs to the two New York teams. We had questions before the season about the Yankees, who made some interesting moves. I was not sure if they would work out. But they, right now, have paid off. They had the best record in the American League. They ripped off an 11-game winning streak to build a little bit of a cushion in the American League's over Tampa and Toronto. This streak, though, also showcased how they have evolved as a team. The Yankees, as we've known them over the past decade or so, have built themselves on power and outslugging teams. They still hit home runs. They still have some pop, but this is now a team that wins more of its pitching. as a deep starting rotation, has excellent bullpen, the offense started a bit slowly, but they have really picked it up of late. This team's also much better defensively. They brought in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and Josh Donaldson in the trade with Minnesota. They have really improved the defense on the left side of the infield. They have the combo of Jose Trevino and Kyle Higashioka behind the plate. Not hitting much, but excellent defensively. A big upgrade with Gary Sanchez in that regard. A full year of Anthony Rizzo at first. The Yankees have really improved defensively. Look at the schedule. Yes, they have a lot of wins over Baltimore. They have wins over Kansas City. They have wins against Detroit. But you can only play who's in front of you on that schedule. What's important right now is that the Yankees are banking wins against those bad teams. 
you got some cushion when you face these better teams. And they're going to be tested over this next couple of weeks or so because thanks to these rainouts last week, they're in the middle of a stretch now. 23 games, 22 days without a day off. They had a doubleheader on Sunday, split that with Texas. They had to make up the other game of the Texas series on Monday. That's a lot of time without an off day for a team that relies heavily on that bullpen. There are some good series and good teams on that stretch coming up here. You look at the Yankee schedule over the next few weeks. After they finish the Texas series up here, they have Toronto coming in for two. They have the White Sox coming in. There's a couple of Baltimore in there. The White Sox are in there. They have also a trip, a four-game trip to Tampa before they're off Memorial Day. That's going to be some very important games. We'll see how they manage this. As far as the other side of town here, the Mets, they have the best record in the NL. That goes to the Dodgers right now. They have the most wins in the National League. They have 20, the first team in the league to get there. Their remarkable starting pitching has carried the load so far. Tyler McGill has been an excellent fill-in for Jacob DeGrom. And right before the season, when you hear the news, oh, Jacob DeGrom has a stress reaction in his shoulder. He's going to be out for at least a month or two. You're saying, oh, God, the troubles have started. He's come in. He's been ace-like. That's impressive. Max Scherzer, excellent as advertised. Exactly what you wanted. Chris Bassett, excellent number three. Carlos Carrasco has bounced back nicely as well. He's had some very good stretches here. The Mets have great rotation depth. It's just been excellent. The lineup as a whole is a lot more balanced. They have a deeper group. They have a much better approach to the play they did last year. This group hits with runners in score position. They make contact. They string hits together. These are areas where they struggled mightily last year. Their rebound has been a big key to their wins. They defense has also gotten much better because the additions of Mark Kana and Starling Marte have really shore up the defense in the outfield. Jeff McNeil has been solid second base. Eduardo Escobar has been, been very good at third. That defense and strong pitching has led to a very good mix here. They still have a lineup that needs a little more pop, and I think the dead baseball has a lot to do with that. But you look at them right now. They're 20-10. and 10. They have a plus 36 run differential. That's important because remember last year when they got to that fast start, their first place around 90 days, the run differential was never great. It was usually around like plus six, plus five, plus 10 if they were lucky. That gave you the hint, you know, maybe this team is not as good as their record is and somebody will catch them. And believe it or not, they got caught. They still need help. They need another hitter. I think they need one more big bat to hit five between Pete Alonso and Eduardo Escobar. You get that guy? How about the bullpen? Trevor May being out for a couple months hurts. Outside of Drew Smith and Edwin Diaz, you don't really trust anybody out there. They have done well, though. They have played a very tough schedule early on also. They have won eight of nine series, including a series against the Cardinals in St. Louis, which is tough to do for them. They won three out of four against the Giants. They won all three series they played against the Phillies. Good run so far. It's still just May. But this could be a very magical year for New York baseball. It could be in for a very fun summer. After what's been an awful sports winter, we really could use the fun from baseball. So, guys, please keep it up. We'll get more into the baseball in the coming weeks. But up next, we're going to talk NHL playoffs with Christopher Russo right after this. Down. after him again. Knocked it loose. Here's Kapanen. Kapanen waiting with it. Backpedals to the point. Marino with a shot. Scores! Malkin got a stick on the Marino shot, and the Penguins. 
steal game one in New York in triple overtime. All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast talking NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. We are in the middle of the first round. Join me today, the host of the Sports in the Wave Room podcast, a big hockey fan. Christopher Russo is here. Christopher, how are you? I am uh, great, Mike. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate you plugging the podcast. Absolutely. Great podcast. Definitely want to check it out here. Chris, we're going deep on the hockey, I'm sure, every single week throughout the playoffs. Right, Chris? Yes, certainly. I uh, I got back into it this past week. A lot about the Rangers-Penguins uh, series in particular, just because I, that appeals more to the local people. So Rangers stuff, Devils stuff in particular, and uh, Islanders stuff. Look, if they were in it, if the Devils and the Islanders were in it, I'd be talking a lot more about that. But yeah, a little more spread out in the Northeast. So really, really a fun postseason so far. It has been really fun so far. And I mean, I'm a Rangers fan. You're a Rangers fan. And like, this is a team like, I mean, just getting back into the games, it reminds you of like, man, playoff hockey is at such a different level compared to like some of the playoffs of the other sports. Well, first off, I'm going to point out, I look on air. I am, uh, I am neutral as anybody. Believe me, I'm, I'm not, uh, not pulling for anybody, but it's been, it's been a wild, wild postseason. I think the fact that it's, Rangers Penguins, I, I think, is a more underrated rivalry. People talk a lot about uh, Rangers Devils, Rangers Islanders, Devils Flyers. Those are some of the big ones. I think people talk about uh, Rangers Bruins, Rangers Capitals a lot. But the Rangers in Pittsburgh now have met uh, five times in fifteen seasons. Five times in the last, yeah, five times in the last fifteen years in the playoffs, and four times in the last nine. It is a much more intense rivalry than I think a lot of people think. Uh, you know, they, they met up a few times in the Lemieux era, but I think this is a lot more. You could watch, I think, from the first few games, there's there's hatred in this series from both sides. And so it is it is very intense. It absolutely is. I want to start with this series here because obviously it's been wild at this point. I mean, you had the triple overtime game one, the Penguins win that game, Rangers come back game two. Win that one. Game three, Shesterkin has the stinker early, gets pulled. Rangers tied up with Georgiev, but they got three goals the third period. That stretch at the end of the of second period where Domingue stopped three straight power plays with the Rangers, basically stonewalled them. I feel like the turning point of that game. What did you just feel on this series? I feel like it's all over the place. Yeah, this is a very strange series, I would say, because uh, the team that scored first has won two of the games. But, you know, it's funny. I compared... Game three, once the Rangers had tied that game at four, I compared game three a lot to game one, but from Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh's point of view, where the Rangers had a 2-0 lead in game one, Pittsburgh came back to tie it, and then Pittsburgh had, and then the Rangers had retaken the lead, and then Pittsburgh came back to tie it. So once they tied it at four, and and I think once Heinen gave the Penguins the lead, I thought, I, I, I get a strange feeling the Rangers are going to win this in triple overtime, <laughs> but so it was, it was very reminiscent because the Penguins blew a four, one lead after one period. And uh, that one was also kind of strange because I thought the, I thought the Zucker goal, I thought they looked, I thought that was very quick that they looked at that and they found evidence to overturn it. But uh, especially after looking at the cop goal later and hearing that it's more of a judgment call, by officials that made a lot more sense but I thought it was also before the second Pittsburgh goal I thought it was a I don't know if you remember I think it was on oh I can't remember who it was it wasn't on Nemeth it was a very very soft penalty a, a very very soft penalty that I think was drawn by Dan, Danton Heinen I was very shocked that they called it 
and the Penguins ended up scoring on the power play. It's been weird with special teams. I don't know. I would say this game also kind of reminded me of, do you remember at all game five Rangers, Montreal in 2014, Montreal runs seven to four. Yeah, it was very, it does. It is very similar to that game. Yeah. They were, I think the Rangers were also down four to one in that game and came back to tie it. And then Montreal won and then, and then kind of bury it with the empty net. The other weird thing about game three with the Rangers was they shut down the Crosby line. You, you look and you'll see a couple of points for each of those guys, but those were on the empty netters. But it was a lot of secondary scoring. Evan Rodriguez came out of nowhere. And uh, Jeff Carter, who I thought, I'm still very surprised that he did not get even a fine or any or any hearing or anything regarding that hit on Shesterkin. Um, but then again, I think the way some of, and I've said, I've said this for a long time, I don't think it's a concerted effort or anything or, or conspiracy or anything like that, but I think officials tend to look away at a lot of things when it comes to officiating Pittsburgh Penguins games. It's, I, I think, you know, when you see Sidney Crosby shove PK Subban's head into the ice in the Stanley Cup final and they get matching minors, it's a concern. And so there's leeway when it comes to the Pittsburgh Penguins, I think, when it comes to some of the officiating. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I noticed with the Rangers this series, obviously, is the Shesterkin stuff is the biggest thing, obviously, because he plays all those minutes in game one, bounces back game two. Game three basically gets chased early. He has a couple of soft goals. Can't blame him. He's tired, I'm sure, because he's played a lot of minutes in this series. But the one thing I think is clear here is that, like, if you're not getting Vezina level Shesterkin, I don't think the Rangers have a shot in this series. I think that's a fair point. However, I think with I think they should strongly consider starting Georgiev for Game Four because one, I don't think Georgiev is as bad as people think, and I, two, I think Shesterkin is tired, especially after Game One. I've talked to people about this. I, I, there could be a chance, and we we see this. You you watch at the end of a Stanley Cup playoff run. As soon as a team gets knocked out, you see four or five injuries that have just been hidden very well. I honestly would not be surprised if Shesterkin was a little banged up after that Carter injury because he after that Carter hit because he was down for a little while, and so it, it's been an issue. I I would strongly consider starting Georgiev, and you know I said this when Henrik Lundqvist was their goaltender. The Rangers tend to play better at times in front of a backup goaltender because they know they don't have to rely on a world-class goaltender like a Lundqvist or like a Shesterkin. And they came back from down 4-1 to tie that game at four, dominated the second period, were very dominant on the power play, but it was just Louis Domingue standing on his head. And then at that point, Georgiev gave in. But it's very possible that they could steal a game with Georgiev in goal. Yeah, it's also something you notice here with this team, too. It's obviously it's very young. A lot of guys on this team are getting their first playoff experience, first playoff road games, first playoff minutes, et cetera. And, like, I think it explains a lot of the inconsistency you see from the Rangers, too, where they come out like they did in the first period on game one and the second period game three. They just come out and just, like, dominate. You think, this team is going to win the Stanley Cup. They look great. And then they have a period right after, you're like, oh, my God, how'd they make the playoffs? Yeah, it's really weird. The first period, they were so dominant in game one. They were outstanding. And they go up 2 nothing. second period. They're good early on, but Pittsburgh, I think, probably had e- even more so, I would say, than the first period of Game 3. I think the second period of Game 1 was Pittsburgh's most dominant. I actually think that after the second, a slight edge would go to the Rangers in terms of 
in terms of a, a better play for the remainder of that game. But ultimately, they were just worn out. They did not pace themselves well, even though the Penguins are older. The Penguins paced themselves well. And more importantly, this is and this has been a problem with the Rangers for years. They could not win a faceoff to save their life. That was a huge issue. And that's one of the biggest things you have to respect. Even if you're a Ranger fan and you, and you think like a lot of the officiating, the woes are because of him. Sidney Crosby is so good at winning faceoffs. That's one of the things you have to respect about him the most. But it's funny because Sidney Crosby and Mika Zibanejad have been about equal in terms of face-off percentage, at least entering game three. It's just that those lower lines have not been incredible on the draw. So, yeah, it's it's very strange. I, I have to say right now, especially a couple of plays in game three, I don't know why Patrick Nemeth is on the ice. I, I've, I've said this for much of the year, as a matter of fact. I don't know why Patrick Nemeth is on the ice. I think he's the one real weak he's been strong at times but i think he's the one we real weak link for the rangers and i don't know why they haven't given a fair a fair shake to zach jones let alone nils lundquist yeah obviously that's where the injury to ryan lingren is looming large here i mean between that one and barkley goodrow basically breaking his ankle in game one now he's week to week at this point so those two losses really are killing the ranger especially the lingren situation there because that's really messing with their entire defensive uh, pairing system here yeah, well, I you know I just saw something. I thought it was maybe New York Post about Fox, Fox and Braun playing together, and you know that's weird because it's a righty righty. Even though I know I, I've said you could bring in Lundqvist to replace uh, Nemeth, even though that's you know it's a righty replacing a lefty, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very strange situation for the Rangers. And then you know Goodrow. It's funny you go back to the beginning of the year. And you forget that Sammy Blay is out for the year and barely got to play for the Rangers after that whole thing early on. Yeah, it's definitely true. And what do you think is the key here for these teams on the rest of the series? Obviously, we're recording on Sunday night before, between Game 3 and Game 4. So what do you think is the keys here for these teams to try and advance to the next round? Well, I would again say the Rangers should consider starting Georgiev. I would say for Pittsburgh, Louis Domingue, he's given up a lot of goals, but... That, that Again, you said the, those power plays early on for the Rangers in the third period. Uh, the Rangers actually played very well on the power play. They did everything but score. And I, I think Louis Domingue, just, uh, Louis Domingue just stood on his head, and that's what turned the tide of the game. That's what gave the game back to Pittsburgh, even after blowing a three-goal lead. I will say special teams is going to be huge because the power play has been inconsistent, I would say, for both sides. The penalty kill has been inconsistent for both sides. And I will again say the officiating. I think the, the officiating in game three was actually a lot better because the the officials kind of redeemed themselves because the the Zucker goal and the cop goal were very similar. And they gave they gave each team a fair shake. I think there were a couple of calls they gave the Rangers down the stretch, even though Pittsburgh had a lot of power plays. And you look at I think it was game one, Pittsburgh. I think the Rangers had one power play and Pittsburgh had way more. There were a lot of calls that were missed in game two especially the Carter call. So that's another thing. And I, I will say they gotta, they've got to get Nemeth out of there. Uh, and the importance of the first line for both teams, because Crosby's got, I think, six points. Now, to be fair, two of those come are assists on empty netters. But the his first line was dominant in the first two games. The Ranger first line has been dominant with Kreider and Vetrano, in particular, shooting the puck and Zabanajad. But both lines obviously have been horrible defensively. I think they each have about a zero 
plus minus. So those two might cancel each other out, and it's probably going to be it's probably going to be the the depth scoring, which was dominated by Pittsburgh in Game Three. Yeah, so let's go a little bigger picture here. Some of the other series here, because we'll go with the West first, because the West I feel like is pretty, you know, like set up decently in terms of what's going on here. I mean, you got Colorado steamrolling. The Wild Blue series is fun at 2-2. Oilers Kings are about to play game four as we're getting ready to record here. The Oilers are up 2-1 in that series. And the other big series out west right now, I'm trying to go back to my timetable here. I mean, the Avalanche, I mentioned that one. And the big one surprised me. Calgary. Calgary down 2-1 early. Yeah, Calgary down 2-1 in the series to Dallas. You know, I think, I've I've said this, I, I think that unless Edmonton makes a run, with their star power, I think the Western Conference champion is coming out of the Central Division. I think it's probably going to be Colorado. I think they should be the the favorite, uh, and uh, but I think Minnesota and St. Louis are also pretty dangerous. I don't think they quite have as much talent as Minnesota does, but they, uh, as Colorado does. But St. Louis has won the Stanley Cup before. Minnesota's got a lot of good youth. That top line with. Uh, Kaprizov and and Zuccarello has been frightening for the last two years now, but it, it's very good. I, I think one of the one of the best things I've noticed out of this entire postseason is that the first round, in the first round, only one series has been three games to none through the first three games. That's Colorado and Nashville, and even then, Nashville lost in overtime in Game Two, goal by Kale McCarr. Game three, I thought what Nashville, there was some questionable officiating, I think, for Nashville in game three. And, uh, you know, I talk about this with uh, my friend Anthony, who does the uh, the 87s games with me, the junior hockey games with me, that, you know, we don't really bring up officiating unless it really needs to be questioned, unless it's fair game. And there have been some times where it's fair game. I think you go back to, you know, we, we spoke about the Rangers Penguins and the officiating. Game one, I actually thought they made the right call on goaltender interference, even though I thought Kako got pushed in by Dumoulin. It's still contact. It's it's whether he's allowed, it's whether it was uh, DeSmith at the time is allowed to play his position. And so they, they called it that correctly, but then they went the other way against Colorado or favoring Colorado when it looked like Landeskog was interfering with Ingram in game three. And that was a huge goal for Colorado. But I, I, I took the abs to win this series in five and it very well could end up in a sweep yeah that's interesting for sure i think the thing i'm fascinated by is obviously i think that that calgary series out west also because like they were a team i thought could be a sleeper cup team here but like that they're down i think this is gives you concern i've heard that from a lot of people that calgary's a, a sleeper cup team which is funny too because i think because edmonton's at least they're those top two guys mcdavid and dreisaitl i think it's a more talented team but Calgary, again, their head coach is Daryl Sutter. I think they've had an even a slightly larger window with guys like Johnny Gaudreau and guys like that. But it's it's very strange. And, you know, Calgary going up in, against Dallas in particular, it's kind of like if the Leafs would have had to go through the Bruins in the first round where it's just the, the, the kind of this demon you've got to slay eventually. Some people forget that in the bubble, Calgary – was 12 seconds away from going up three games to one on Dallas in the first round. The Stars tied the game with about 12 seconds left in regulation, one in overtime, and then won each of the next two games to knock them out. And then as a three seed, eventually got all the way to the Stanley Cup final and came within a couple of games of upsetting the Lightning. So 
Calgary, this is they've got to win this series in particular. They've got to go through this team. Yeah, for sure. I think also let's go to the East. I want to kind of touch on each of these series individually because they're all fascinating right now. We already did the Rangers, but start with the other games tomorrow here. Washington's up 2-1 on Florida, who I thought entered the playoffs as the cup favorite here. And this Washington team limped into the postseason. I know they were talking about the Rangers, so they try and like wizard game this and try and uh try and end up with Washington as their opponent here. And there's still a little magic left in the Capitals. Yeah, it's a it's a bit strange, especially when we found out that Ovechkin was not 100%. And we know their goaltending has been questionable this year. It's obviously, you know, there there have been coaching change, multiple coaching changes. We all think of Barry Trotz as being the guy in Washington when they won the cup. And so it's, it's different, but I don't know how it's worked out for Washington. I thought Florida would take this series in five games. I, I don't think Florida is, I don't think Florida is a fundamentally sound defensive team whatsoever. And, but I do think their goaltending is good if they have Bobrovsky really on point. It's it's strange, though, how they've alternated. But they can score like nobody's business. However, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, that's not how you play. Yet, I would say they are more talented and probably in more of a cup window, more in the prime of a cup window than Washington is. I'm very surprised that Washington not only won, not only has won two out of three, but mopped the floor with them at game three. Yeah, for sure. I think also I think the series you're describing is also very similar to what's going on with the Carolina Boston series. Carolina has all this firepower. They win the Metro, which is the toughest division in hockey. And then it's a very experienced Boston team in the playoffs that gets the wild card, switches over divisions here. And it's sort of the maybe the last ride for a lot of that core. And you sit there, watch them go, and you say, like, this is a team that be a very big problem for Carolina, which has not really had a chance to make a big mark in the cup playoffs recently. I was very stunned to learn that until Game three in Boston, the Bruins had not led the Hurricanes in a game all season. I was very surprised at that. I think the Hurricanes took a took all three games, I believe, against the Bruins during the regular season. Bruins actually came out firing in game one, but the Hurricanes weathered the storm, pun intended, and then were, were able to, to really put them away in game one, put them away in game two. But the, the Bruins finally, Bruce Cassidy has put back together the perfection line of Marchand, uh, Pasternak, and Bergeron. And uh, Marchand with five points in game four as we record this this uh, earlier this afternoon for Boston. They, they've they really stayed alive, in this se- stayed alive in this series. I think Carolina is perhaps the most fundamentally sound team in the NHL. I love their defensive strategy. I love an aggressive forecheck. They are so quick to the puck carrier. They're very deep. I don't think there's one line that particularly scares you, but I don't think there's one line that should not be feared in some way, shape, or form. Uh, their their goaltending is a little iffy when you consider that Ranta just came back, uh, but it's still definitely an upgrade over what they had with Nadelkovich, I think, who, who kind of was a bit of a scapegoat. I think easy to, to pin that lightning series on last year, but... Uh, yeah, the Hurricanes are going to have to wake up in Game 5 for sure because if they lose Game 5, I can't imagine the Bruins are not going to win Game 6 in Boston. Yeah, this has been one of those classic series so far where the old mantra is, oh, you know, the series doesn't get real until somebody wins a road game. And the home team has held serve all four games so far. Yeah, I'd certainly agree with you on that one. Yeah, and this is also important for the Ranger fans, obviously, because this is if you win the series here in Pittsburgh, this is your next opponent, whoever comes out of this series. 
I think that the Carolina Hurricanes are the one team in the Eastern Conference that absolutely should beat the Rangers in the playoffs. I think the Rangers, look, the Rangers probably theoretically could win or lose against any team that's in the Eastern Conference playoffs right now, Pittsburgh included. But I think Carolina is the one team that has truly had their number this year because the Rangers have played well against Pittsburgh in the regular season. The truth is Rangers probably should have at least gotten a point in all four games. There was actually uh, the first game, I think, was a one nothing Pittsburgh win. Jari stood on his head and the only goal came on what I thought was a bad penalty call that was uh, hooking, I think, by Ryan Lindgren on Sidney Crosby, where he clearly just got the stick. And that they've played Toronto well. They've played Florida well. They've played Tampa surprisingly well, which I don't think I've seen them play Tampa well in a long, long time. Uh, they've played Boston decently. They, uh, they've played Washington fine. They, they beat them down the stretch. I think Carolina is the one team that has truly tested the Rangers' limits, at least prior to the postseason, and, and, and the one team that, that should scare you if you're a Ranger fan. Absolutely. I want to get to this last series here. This is one I have some money on here because I'm going into the postseason. I look at the series prices here. I saw that Tampa was getting, was basically getting like plus money against Toronto. And I jumped on that one. I said, you know what? Two time defending champions. Love this group's pedigree. Toronto cannot win a big game, big spot. They have to show me that. And a series tied 2 2, as, just as we were getting on the air here. Tampa wins 7 3 in game four, not up at two apiece. What do you think about where this series is going? Well, it's weird because am I wrong or have all four games been blowouts so far? Yeah, I got to look at that series. I'm going to go in here real quick and check well, out. I know, I know game one was 5 nothing Leafs. It was yeah, five nothing. Kyle Clifford with that bad boarding penalty. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, 5 nothing game one. Uh, uh, Tampa won 5-3 in game two. Lost 5-2 in game three and then won 7-3 tonight. Oh, you know what? Well, you know what it was, though? Tampa had a 5-1 lead in game two and the Leafs fought back late. I think yeah. they just ran out of time. They scored... I think two goals in the last 10 minutes. And I think he even had a shorthanded goal as one of them. So as in that, like that game was a larger margin than, than the score actually says, but really these have been four blowouts, but two wins for each team in this series. So it's very strange. The home team is two and two. So it's, it's really weird, but I think this one could go either way. I said Tampa and six because I don't know if I trust Jack Campbell entirely, especially after last year and the mess that the Leafs made against Montreal, which I thought was a far inferior team, but wrote a good structure, rode Carey Price. And now it's just a question of whether the Leafs can play defense. I think Campbell stood up to the test a lot more, not tonight, obviously, but the, the Bolts are obviously a much more sound defensive team. They are definitely a deeper team I don't know about at four, but certainly on defense, and certainly they have the better goaltender in Andre Vasilevsky, one of the best goaltenders in the world. Con Smythe winner last year. You got Victor Hedman, a defenseman, who was the Con Smythe winner the year before. But this series honestly could go either way, and I think hockey's a winner no matter what because if Tampa wins, then you have a two-time defending champion moving on to the second round. If Toronto wins, they've knocked out the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion in at least six games, it's going to be a good series regardless. And remember, if the Leafs lose, if the Leafs get knocked out this year, they they already have the, the record for most calendar years. They will break the record for most seasons between Stanley Cup titles. 
yeah, that's absurd. And for me, it's just one of those things where, like, that team has blown so many series. They've had a lot of chances to close it out. They just can't do it. It's like, for me, I'm like, I can't trust this team until I see them do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the key one, we always go, this is long before Matthews and long before Marner, long before Tavares got in. But we always go back to 2013. They blow the 4-1 lead in Game 7 in Boston. Of course, great moment for the city of Boston after – I mean, after the marathon and the, the 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 run that that team made, but if you're a Leafs fan, you're you're just it's just a nightmare all over. It's you know it's 1993 all over again, Leafs Kings. And then last year might have been it, but then again, you think of last year, you almost think of when the Capitals were down two games to none to the Blue Jackets before going on to come back and win that series, and then finally win the Stanley Cup. The Lightning, who had been waiting for so long at such good teams, were uh, had. Uh, blown that series been swept by Columbus after winning the president's trophy they win the Stanley Cup each of the next two years maybe this the, the Montreal series maybe was finally the catalyst for the Maple Leafs yeah so obviously that's gonna be a fun series to watch down this right here so the last question here is obviously I'm sure you felt your NHL playoff bracket before the playoffs started here who did you have in the finals when you when you filled the bracket out you know for so long I was thinking that the Colorado Avalanche were going to win the Stanley Cup because they were the team of now, the team that should have won last year, team that should have won the year before. They've got Nathan McKinnon. They've got Gabe Landeskog. They've got Kale McCarr, who's maybe the best defenseman in the NHL. Now, I have them in the final. I do want to clarify that. I have them in the final. But I have them losing to the Carolina Hurricanes. I mentioned it again. They're a fundamentally sound defensive team. I am... I'm like that. I'm like the parents from the progressive ads. Don't become your parents. Defense wins championships, but goals win games. I think the Hurricanes are 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 just a better team, and I think they are a more sound team than than Colorado. I think they're a more sound team than Florida. I think they are a more sound team than the Rangers uh, coming out of this division. If the Rangers end up playing them, I think Carolina is the team to beat. Always well, some fun, Chris. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, can people follow on social media? Keep up with your podcast. Yeah, so you can find me on uh, Facebook, uh, Chris Russo. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Russo 98, C-H-R-I-S-R-U-S-S-O 98. I don't really post much on there, but you can find me on uh, on this, but you can find me on Instagram as well. There are a couple of things I have on there. You can find it's uh, at also at Chris Russo 98. So if you, uh, yeah, if you want to hear from that, just uh, just give a ring. Yeah, if you want to follow your podcast, how do you do that? Yeah, but that's it's the same. It's through my account, actually. You, I, I will promote it once a week. It comes out every Wednesday, uh, at least uh, most Wednesdays during the season, uh, during the EHL season. But now that we are into the summer, I've got a little more time on my hands. I have been uh, churning out episodes each week. Absolutely. A lot of fun. Check that out, Chris. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it, Mike. The Two Minute Drill. two-minute drill time talking about the showtime lakers on hbo we're talking about winning time the season finale aired tonight sunday night and definitely a lot of fun for the show and obviously this season really was the rise of the dynasty because we basically spent the entire season covering the 1979-80 lakers how the groups assembled tonight really focused on the nba final specifically the end of it start off with game five you see kareem hurt his ankle we had the whole scenario of Magic Johns basically taking over at center for game six. The 
motivation behind this. I thought it was fun. We got our most in-game basketball on the show. We spent a lot of time in game six. It was a lot of fun seeing the choreography of the show. It was excellent. The acting is obviously great. And I think the show, what makes it very fun is that it's not just the basketball show. It's not like, oh, like, here's, like, why we ran these plays. It gives a lot of backstory on the people involved in these moments. I mean, we saw a lot of Magic's personal, like, facet, like fixation with trying to outdo Larry Bird in the finale. Larry Bird in the show is definitely a big presence in Magic's mind. We see a lot of what's going on scenes with Jerry Buss. And obviously, the show is at its best when it's diving into his characters. I mean, there are episodes of the show. I think typically, I think the fifth episode of the season where they take a look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's backstory, that's a strong episode. Episodes throughout do a good job of that. They also give you a good job of giving backstory on some of the more forgotten names in the early days of the Lakers. I mean, for example, head coach Jack McKinney, who was the initial coach that 79-80 team before he suffers a huge bike accident, does a severe brain injury before he ends up giving the team over to Paul Westhead. Like, they do a lot of work to remind Laker fans that Jack McKinney was really the architect of the Lakers, and West sort of takes that blueprint and runs with it to become a champion there. You also have the player Spencer Haywood, who was a reserve on that team, as a drug issue, you see his relationship with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar throughout the season be a fun through line as well. And there is a lot of controversy with the show. A lot of the Lakers involved with it, whether it is Jerry West, who is threatening to sue to the Supreme Court for defamation, whether it's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar basically calling it lazy, Magic Johnson basically saying, I want nothing to do with this. Like, I get it. There are parts of the show that are not flattering to people. Jerry West's portrayal in the show Makes him out to be, at times, like, a raging, like, alcoholic, depressive maniac. Like, Magic Johnson, I'm sure, does not like the idea of, like, them diving deep into his womanizing days. The thing is, like, and the show has said this many times, this is not a documentary. This is not They Call Me Magic, where you have every single hour interviews and giving you the story here. This is a dramatization based on that Jeff Perlman book. And do they twist some things to make it more dramatic? Sure. I mean... One of the big characters in the show, Jerry Buss' mother, Jesse Buss, who's played by Sally Fields, not even alive at the time of the 7980 season. They put her in there to give more character to Jerry Buss. Played fantastic with John C. Riley. I think this show's a lot of fun. It got picked up a few weeks ago for season two. And I know they did option the book for the Kobe Shaq Lakers. And from what it sounds like, though, I think they're going to wait on that and continue with this cast. I think it's the right call because... There are a lot of fun moments. I love to see the show get into it. You don't have to go season by season. I don't think they're going to do 10 seasons of the Laker dynasty because the show does start you off with a flash forward to Magic HIV diagnosis. I think you're going to see some skipping around for me a couple of seasons where we look at things like how Paul Westhead gets fired and Pat Riley becomes the head coach. This season, Paul Westhead has the head coach, played by Jason Siegel. Pat Riley, who's played by Adrian Brody, he's the assistant. In a couple of years, Westhead gets fired, Riley takes over, and then he goes another level. You see more players coming in. You see a lot of stuff going on here. I think it's a lot of fun, especially the Magic Bird rivalry, which Larry Bird is more of a supporting character in Season 1. We see him in, in the finale, basically, going out and working on skyhooks after seeing Magic win the title. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see their rivalry evolve. And a little bit of the state of the NBA in the 80s, because these two help bring the NBA to prominence. We see some... Uh, notable figures in the NBA portraying the show, such as David Stern, 
Red Hour back, Magic Johnson. Imagine we get a young Michael Jordan in this show. That'd be fun. I think it's a great show. I think you should definitely check it out. All 10 episodes of season one are out now, so check it out. Can't wait for season two. Probably could get, I would say probably around this time next year, so it'll be fun to see what happens there. And with that, I want to end the show for the week. I want to thank Christopher Russo for coming on to talk about the NHL playoffs. Definitely a lot of fun watching the hockey. You see if the Rangers can turn things around here and win this series against Pittsburgh. You always love like this podcast, including my instant reaction to the new Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer that dropped on Star Wars Day, May the 4th. is the second official trailer to look at the new show coming to Disney Plus later this month. Check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Come up next week, we're going to have some fun. We're going to do the PGA Championship preview, first golf podcast of the year, do an NFL schedule recap, and more. Until we have a better week than the Reds fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.